What a great song that is to begin with this evening. Give me the Bible. There's a lot of people throughout the history of the world who did not have that advantage and blessing that you have this evening. And if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of John this evening. John chapter 21, the very last chapter of the book of John. And we're going to read about a story here between Jesus and Peter. And I hope it will be helpful for us as we navigate from here to heaven and think about how important these things are. The actor Kurt Douglas wrote a story about his life several years ago. It was entitled Son of the Ragman. And he tells a story after World War II that he's driving along the San Diego freeway and there was a sailor hitchhiking. Now, Kurt Douglas was already a famous actor at that time. And so he pulled the car over, picked up the sailor, and they, down the road they went. And there was just chit-chatting and chit-chatting, and the sailor kept looking at him. And kept looking at him. And after a while, he says, hey, do you know who you are? <laughs> and I sometimes wonder if we do. You know, we go into a world we live in, and there are those who just say us we're just an accident of naturalism. Sometimes we feel like we're just a number. All kinds of numbers, but all I am is just a number. But we come to a place like this, and we open that holy Bible, and we remind ourselves that we are in the creation of God, that God sent Jesus not to save the trees, not to save the whales, not to save the plants, but to save you and to save me. And how important that is for us to realize that. There's been a book written a few years ago that became a best-selling book in the business community. It's called Crucial Conversations. And it's about having those difficult conversations. That book also found a niche in homes. It's found a niche in churches. Now, I believe if you shepherds here have never read Crucial Conversations, I'd highly recommend it. It's not a religious book, but it's a book about having those hard, difficult conversations. You're the boss, and you have somebody who doesn't want to work. And you're a shepherd, and you got a member who doesn't want to do what's right. And those conversations are very, very hard to deal with. The writer Marjorie Kellogg, as she talked about the family and this idea of conversations, she said they lived together for so many years, they mistook arguments for conversations. It's like this one couple. She was so mad at him, she said, I'm going to dance on your grave. Next day, he was gone a long time. She said, where have you been? I made funeral arrangements. I'm going to be buried at sea. <laughs> you know? When we think about these conversations, we think about, for instance, in Matthew 16, when Jesus tells the apostles that he's going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified, and Peter says, that will never happen. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Then we think about in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus. And there's Peter with a sword, and he's just wielding that sword, and he's doing all kinds of things. And Jesus says, put away your sword. Well, here in John chapter 21, as we come to the final words that John writes in this gospel, we find two conversations, crucial conversations, we could say as we think about this. The first one begins in verse 15. Where there it says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And then he would say in verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. Now we lose some of that, the, really the thrust of this in our English Bibles. And we need to appreciate that. When you and I use the word love, we define it by context. I love my red truck. I do. I just got a new red truck. I love that truck. I love my wife. Now, it's not the same thing. So if those were equal, I'll be sleeping in that red truck. Okay? The context determines how we use that. In the Greek language, they would have a different word. They would not use a context. So when Jesus begins, he's using the word agape, the greatest type of love. God so loved the world is that kind of love. It's one directional. It's not based on how you treat me. You can just walk away from me, but I'm going to love you. It is a choice, not a feeling. Do you love me, Peter? Do you agape me, Peter? Peter replies, you are my friend. The word filio, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Again, Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter replies, you are my friend. I think the Lord's getting kind of frustrated because the third time Jesus says, are you my friend? I am your friend. Now, from that, we go to verse 18, verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself, walk wherever you wished, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. What he's telling Peter here is, I'm telling you, you're going to die. When you're young, you dressed as you wanted to dress. You went where you wanted to win. But when the time is coming and they're going to stretch out your hands like a crucifixion, they're going to take you places you don't want to go. But in your death, verse 19, glorify me. You're going to glorify me. And what he emphasizes there is simply these two words which we're going to talk about this evening, and that is follow me. Now what's interesting is what happens right after this. But stop there for a moment. I don't know about you, but I really don't want to know how I'm going to die. I just don't want to know. I know Hebrews 9 tells me it's going to come, but am I going to go through a windshield? I don't want to know those things, you know. Is something going to fall and hit my... I don't want to know those things. But the Lord is telling Peter, I love you, but you're going to die. And you're going to die at crucifixion, just like Jesus died. History tells us that what's, that's what happened. But now notice what takes place right after this. Because in verse 20... Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one whom also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? He's talking about John. Now, Jesus just said, Peter, you're going to go places you don't want to go. They're going to stretch out your hands. You're going to die this way. 
Peter says, what about John? How's John going to die? Is he going to have the same thing happen to him? And notice now, as we go through this, what the Lord says. The Lord says in verse 22, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Other translations will say simply, what difference does that make to you? Follow me, or is that your business? Now, I don't care what, you know, it's not your business what happens to John. If John never dies, if John is alive till I come back, that's not your business. Your business is to follow me. And in that profound statement, we realize there's a lesson for us. Sometimes you and I have our radar pointed at each other so often, and we get so bothered by each other, we forget these simple words, and that is follow me. So let's look at two points of application real simply this evening, and then the lesson will be yours. Number one, as we think about this, why are others blessed while you suffer? Why are others blessed while you suffer? Sometimes through life we look like that one guy with a white balloon there. He just looks kind of sad. He's looking at everyone else who has so many balloons, and he doesn't. Here's a young Christian woman. She did everything right. She did everything according to God's order. She got married first, then she had sexual relations, and then she had a baby. But the baby died. Co-workers, college friends of ours, of hers, are putting pictures all over Facebook of having all kinds of babies, and they're not married. She has a co-worker who has had uh, multiple affairs. She's pregnant now. She's not sure who the father is, and she's talking about having an abortion. Now, this Christian woman is dealing with these things and saying, why is it that way? I've done everything the right way. Look at them. They're not doing anything right. And what Jesus would say, why is that your business? Follow me. Why is that your business? Follow me. I saw on the news a while back, the golfer Greg Norman was going to spend $9 million buying a house in Florida. Now, where's Greg Norman on Sundays? He's not in a church house. He's on the golf course golfing. And there's a lot of us who may say, I can't barely make my mortgage payment. And here's a guy buying his fourth or fifth house. Why is that right? I'm trying to do what's right, and look at what he's doing. And all of that takes us over here to the book of Psalms, if you will. Psalms chapter 73. Got your Bible? Let's turn over there. Because that's the very idea that the psalmist had here as we think about these things. We think about the trials we go through and the difficulties. And again, the running thoughts through all of this is, what is that to you? Follow me. Psalms, 30, or excuse me, Psalms 73. Surely, he says, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, that's, it. that's his proposition. I believe God's good. I believe that's what's been said up to this point in the Bible. But, verse 2, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, he says. And, and he would say, my, my steps almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They're not in troubles, other men, nor are they plagued with, like mankind. Pride is their necklace. Their garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulge from fatness. The imagination of their heart runs riot. 
They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. He continues on as we kind of look at this idea here of the difficulties and the things that they were going through. He would say in verse 14, For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. He says, If I would say, I will thus speak, behold, I have been betrayed the generations of your children. When I pondered this, verse 16, to understand this, it was troublesome to me. It don't make sense. Tuesday night. And it's dark outside, and I come to a church house, and I'm trying to do everything right. My next-door neighbor doesn't know the difference between God and a dog. And my next-door neighbor has everything. Bigger car, bigger house, happier family. I'm trying to do everything right, and I look at that and say, this just doesn't seem right. And for the psalmist here, he says, I almost lost it. I almost slipped away. I almost lost my faith because it simply didn't seem to be the way it should be. When you go back and look at verse 13, at the same context here, he wondered if what he was doing was a waste of time. Surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure, washed my hands in innocent. Going to church since I was three years old, you could say. And where's it gotten me? I struggle and I struggle and I struggle and I look at people of the world and they're just coasting through life, never thanking God for their food, never opening the Bible, don't even know if they have a Bible. And here I am and it just looks like everything is tough. It's a mountain both directions. It's like talking to your grandpa. When he went to school, it was 25 miles uphill to get to school and 25 miles uphill to get home from school. I never figured that out, but it was always uphill. We look at these things, and it bothers us. Now, notice the conclusions he reaches in Psalm, chapter 73, Psalm 73. And notice some things he says. Beginning here, just a little bit later on here in verse 18. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destructions. How they're destroyed in a moment. They're utterly swept away by tares. He's reminded them how difficult these things were and how troublesome they were as he considered this in his sight. But when he says, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Now, verse 17. Until I came into the sanctuary of God... Then I perceive their end. Their end is not their death. He's already talked about their death. They die fat. They die happy, he says. Their end is when they face God. Their end is eternity. What Jesus would say is, get your eyes off your neighbor. Get your eyes off your co-workers. Follow me. And we see how difficult that is sometimes. And we see the troubles we get into. And we realize that God sometimes, some of his greatest lessons are on the lessons of adversity and suffering. When you go out at night, you want to see the stars. Okay? You have to sit in the dark to see the stars. There's things you see in the darkness of life you don't see in the sunshine of life. And for God's people, we understand that. We understand that God is with us when we go through that valley, the shadow of death. We understand that God never forsakes us. And so we look at the world around us, and they're dancing with the devil, and they're happy with all these things. And we think, well, here I am, and sure doesn't seem to be right. 
And there's old Peter. Can you imagine what was racing through Peter's mind? You're going to stretch out my hands? And they're going to take me places I don't want to go? Well, what about the rest of these guys? Don't they get the same thing? And what does Jesus say? It's none of your business. Follow me. You know, second point I want you to think about as we think about the simple lesson here. Some thoughts we all take with us as we think about this. And one of the things we need to realize is that why is it that some are inconsistent in their faith while others try so hard? Again, here you are. And you can probably look around you and say, well, so-and-so's not here tonight. So-and-so's not here tonight. We get that radar gun out and we start thinking about all these people. And we can think about, well, you know, why is it that one guy always sleeps during a sermon? Why doesn't that person over there ever sing? Why is that guy in the back there playing with his phone? Why is some always late? Some never give. Some don't come back when we have a, a second service or something. Some never teach. Some are always complaining. And on and on we could go. And if there's a sign-up sheet for church police, a lot of us have signed up for that job. I want to patrol the aisles and see who's doing what. And say, hey, buddy, what are you doing there? You know what Jesus would tell you to do? What business is that of you? Follow me. How important that is to see that and appreciate that. You know, there's an old saying they said years ago. They said, to live above with the saints we love, oh, won't that be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. And again, that's, that, those things bother us. It bothers us where people sit. It bothers us when they come in. It bothers us when they leave. And on and on those things go. Reminds me of the song leader and the preacher. And the song leader had it in his mind that every sermon was directed toward him specifically. So every invitation song was his reply to the sermon. So the preacher had a sermon about commitment. We need to do more. The invitation song says, I shall not be moved. Next week, he preached on giving. Jesus paid it all. Then he had a lesson on gossip. I love to tell the story. On and on that went, back and forth. Finally, the preacher got up one day, and, and he confessed that he and his song leader were not on the same page, and that was spilling over to worship, and he's thinking about maybe leaving. And the song leader got up and said, oh, why not tonight? <laughs> and that's what happens. Now, if you've got your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Luke, chapter 10. Luke, chapter 10. We know this story, but let's take a look at it, as particularly in this context, of what we're talking about this evening. Luke chapter 10, begin verse 38. As they were traveling along, he entered a certain village. Now we know that village would be Bethany, because we know this from other places. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. We've got to stop here and make some points. Now, what's the issue here? The issue was, now, if you had 13 men just show up at your house, okay, I know what we do in South House. We call a pizza man. Come on, let's get some pizzas over here. You couldn't do that in the first century world. So you got 13 men, you got Jesus and these 12 apostles show up, and we got to feed them. So she's, Martha's in there doing what she should be doing. Many other times after this, more than one occasion, you're going to find Martha doing this exact same thing, 
feeding Jesus. Jesus never gets on her for that. The point here is not that you should not be feeding the people. Hospitality was a big part of first century world. What she was doing was not wrong. What was wrong was she let someone else bother her. That's what was wrong. Now go back and notice verse 40. Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She came up to him and said, again, get the story here. Jesus is teaching. And you can imagine before she got to verse 40, maybe she'd pass him back and forth as if she was in her kitchen and the stairs she'd give her sister. Or maybe, ah! Maybe she'd take a pan or two. Where is she? So bothered, verse 40, she interrupts Jesus. Now, can you imagine why I'm preaching? Somebody comes up here and says, Brother Shouse, somebody in the back row there is sleeping and it bothers me. You know what I'd say? Go sit down, let me preach. Just do that. She was so bothered, she interrupted Jesus. And what was she bothered about? Not that we have so much cooking to do and we just can't get it done. That wasn't the issue. The issue is I'm doing and my sister's doing nothing. That's how she saw it. I'm doing it all and my sister's doing nothing. And doesn't that sound like brethren sometimes? We have a work party. Well, where is everybody? I'm going to go home too. We need some help. Well, where is everybody? We get more bothered by others than just looking at what we need to do. What is that to you? Follow me. Now notice what Jesus says here. Verse 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. And in my Bible, I've underlined that. And in the column, I've got written, Roger, Roger. Because that's me. I get bothered by things. You know, back home, I was preaching, and a little boy came up to me one time. And he said, well, when you're up there, Mr. Roger, what did you see? I said, I see everything. I see everything. I see things I'm real happy to see. I see people opening their Bibles. I see people taking notes. I see people laughing, and I didn't say anything funny. It makes me wonder, okay, what's going on here, you know? I see people sleeping. I see wives trying to wake up the sleeper. You see all kinds of stuff. And, and as you do that, you get bothered. Martha, Martha, verse 41, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary. And, and that's, that's taken different ways by the scholars. Some people believe that Martha was making Thanksgiving dinner here, and you don't need to go that extreme. Just, we're simple disciples, just give us simple food, you're making too much. That's one impression of that. The other impression simply is you're just bothered and you shouldn't be bothered, period. But only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. What do we see from this? We see the idea of being bothered. Now, in your Bible, turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Two times the Apostle Paul brings this to our mind as we think about this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we begin with verse 9, and then we're going to look at verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3, but they will not make further progress, for the folly will be obvious to all, as also those who came to be. 
but you. You see that in verse 10? You'll underline that in your Bible. Here's what other folks are doing, but Timothy, here's what you're going to do. Okay? What is that to you? Follow me. Then, then look over in verse 13, 14, same chapter. But evil men and apostles will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and be deceiving. You, however, you see that? Don't be bothered by other people. Oh, Brother Sass, I saw that guy take his mask off during service. Follow Jesus. Oh, Brother Sass, I saw this and I saw that. Why are you looking at other people? Why aren't you looking to Jesus? You know, years ago when I preached in Kansas City, that's where I first met Mitch and Veronica. I love him to death. We had one door in the back that whenever you went out, it clicked. It just clicked. And after one sermon, a lady came up to me and she said, did you hear how many times that clicked? I said, no, ma'am, I was preaching. Well, I counted, she said. And I counted 14 times that door clicked. And I felt like saying, well, how many times did I say a verse? Did you get that one? And see, that's what we do sometimes. And, and when we think about this lesson to Peter, it's really a lesson for you and I. Because we can be so bothered by this, so bothered by that, and what Jesus would say, what is it to you? Follow me. Now, John chapter 6, if you will, in your Bible. John chapter 6, again, a powerful reminder as we think about Jesus and what he's trying to teach these disciples. This is soon after he fed the multitudes, and they were wanting more food, and Jesus was not going to give them any more food. He was going to give them himself. He was the bread of life. And what he's trying to get us to see is we cannot allow what others do to change us. We know what is right. We've got to stick with what is right. And so in John chapter 6, as a result of this, verse 66, many of his disciples withdrew, were not walking with him anymore. Jesus therefore said to the twelve, do you not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answers that, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Follow me. We must follow Jesus if other people will not. We must follow Jesus if other people think it's not necessary. We must follow Jesus if the road is long and weary and hard. We must follow Jesus. If you will now turn your Bible to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And again, let's notice this simple idea of following Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4. And he begins forth in verse 31. Ephesians 4 verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. We just got to pause and think about those words, don't we? Sometimes we come in the church building, those are in our hearts. Sometimes we don't get along with each other. Sometimes we have multiple doors and people will go out different doors because I don't want to shake that guy's hand. I don't like that person. Jesus says, put those thoughts away from you. Now notice the next verse. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Underline this next phrase, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Define that for me. How has God forgiven you? Do you remember your high school days? Remember those college days? Remember those things when your mother told you things to do and you mumbled things under your lips? Remember when the elders said things and you didn't like what the elders said and you said things? How many times, think about this, 
you had to come up with a number since you were baptized in Jesus, how many times has God forgiven you? A hundred? This week? A thousand? A million? If we start to stop and think, you know, you've been a Christian ten, four decades, three decades, two decades, that's a lot of forgiving. And what this passage says is you are to forgive just as God and Christ has also forgiven you. Chapter 5, verse 1, now don't stop. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Now stop there for a moment. Sometimes we just got the wrong notion in our minds. I sometimes think we get the idea that we're like cute little puppy dogs in that pet store window. And God's walking down the street and says, oh, look at those people. They're so cute. I just got to take them home with me. It's not that way at all. You spit in the face of God by defiling him. You rebelled against the God of heaven. You said, I'm going to do my own thing, God. I'm not going to follow you. I have made up my own God, and it's not you, Jehovah. And yet he still loves you. He loves you when you were unlovable. He loves you when you were broken. He loves you when you were worthless. And God still loves you. And so what does this passage says? It says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you. That guy doesn't like the team I like. That guy doesn't like this. That guy doesn't like that. Think about this verse. What is that to you? Follow me. So we need to follow Jesus in truth. We need to follow Jesus in compassion. We need to follow Jesus in forgiving. We need to follow Jesus in serving. We need to follow Jesus in holiness. To follow me. And I think what a powerful way to remind us, coming out of the COVID time where we were, there's a lot of things that were said to eldership that should never have been said. There's a lot of things that said among each other that should never have been said. There's been a lot of things posted on Facebook and on Twitter. And sometimes we can hide behind those things and just type these things out. Nah, 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 nah. There you go. And we forget about the God of heaven cares what you type, what you text as well as what you say. And when we share things, you gotta make sure it's something that God would want us to share. I see brethren sharing things and I'm reading this little story, cuss word, cuss word, cuss word, I'm done with that story. Why in the world did you share that? We're supposed to be the holy people of God. Here's somebody sharing this and you're looking at this and here's people that have hardly any clothes on. What in the world are you sharing that for? You should be ashamed of those things. What we need to do is follow Jesus, footprints of Jesus is one of the hymns we sing. And that's that very idea of following Jesus wherever he is and whatever he does for us. The hymn simply goes this way. Sweetly, Lord, we have heard thee calling. Come, follow me. And we see where thy footprints falling lead us to thee. Then it says, if they lead through the temple holy, preaching the word, or in the homes of the poor and lowly, serving the Lord, then it says, then at last, when on high he sees us, our journey done, we will rest with the steps of Jesus in at his throne. Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow. We will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go. Whether you've walked with me or not, 
whether you encourage me or not, whether you're with me or not, whether you live forever or you die by crucifixion, follow Jesus. And if we took that old radar gun that we love to point at each other and just turn that thing around on ourselves, we'd be a better people. And that's what I want you to think about. What a simple little expression. What is that to you? And I can hear our elders back home, since I preached this sermon, they use that all the time. Somebody will come up to them and yada, 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 yada. What is that to you? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And that answers everything, doesn't it? It ought to help us as we think about our relationship, our fellowship, our working together to go to heaven. There was a guy named Carl. Carl was a Texan. Back in the 1970s, he went up to Alaska to work on the Alaskan pipeline. And Carl was an amateur photographer. And when he got done with the pipeline, he decided to stay up in Alaska and to go on some photography trips. So he got a whole bunch of supplies. Now your parents will have to explain what this word means to your children, but he got a whole bunch of rolls of film. Okay? <laughs> Nobody knows what that is today. And he got a gun and a tent, and he hired a pilot, and they flew him deep up into Alaska, left him there. And he said about his camp. And we know all this because he wrote a journal. And March went into April. He shot a moose. He's taken all kinds of pictures. Just life was on top of the world for him. April into May, May into June. Things were going well. July, August. Then it dawned on him. He forgot to tell the pilot to come back. And we don't have cell phones in this time period. And we are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles from anything. He's out of ammo into September. Into October, his supplies are all but gone. His last entry was the 1st of November because his body was found the next spring. And what he said is, what a terrible way to die to have no exit out of this place. Now you think about that spiritually. How terrible it is to live in this world without having a way out. The way out is Jesus. The way out is not the one who gets the most toys, the biggest house, all the fun, been everywhere, done everything. You're not going to exit that way. That doesn't matter. Can you imagine going to Houston? I've been to Houston several times. Got a lot of friends in Houston. I preach a lot in Houston. Can you imagine going down to Houston where NASA's at and you go in there to one of their engineering booths and you say, I made this paper airplane. What do you think? You think they would give you two seconds? Do you think you can go up to the God of heaven and say, hey, I've got some degrees on the wall. You think that's going to impress God? You care? Hey, you know what, God? I paid my house off before the 30 years. Wasn't that awesome? Do you think God cares? Hey, God. Every year when we had fantasy football, my team always won. Every year I had something there, God. What do you think about that? Do you think he cares? Do you think he cares that your kid went to an Ivy League school? Do you think he cares your kids went to Harvard? Years ago I was preaching in Boston. Harvard's right there. So I got to go to the campus. Got to visit. I was there 15 minutes, got some t-shirts for my kids. Very next week I was in California preaching. Folks there never knew me before. Brother Shouse, just tell us your story. I said, well, I went to Harvard. 
one guy said, you don't talk like a Harvard man. And then I told him, I was there 15 minutes. Got t-shirts. And that's about it. Now that's about what God's going to think too, isn't it? God, I went to Harvard. Well, so I made this entire creation. I made things you can never see out there. Well, hey, God, you know what? I got the prettiest yard in the neighborhood because I got a little sign in my yard that says I won this year. You think God cares? You ought to see the Garden of Eden. You ought to see heaven. And the point of all this is the things that impress us, the things that we say, that's important, really not with God. With God, did you follow my son? I sent him down here just for you. And he left footprints. They're called the Bible. And I sent all kinds of people long before you lived, if you look at their lives and the choices they made, right and wrong, you would have learned to follow me. And in your generation, I put people all around you, godly people. Some of them were in your family. Some of them might have been your mama, your grandma. Some of them might have been your neighbors or co-workers. And they told you about Jesus. And they told you you need to follow Jesus. That's what impresses God. And he says, you know, in this crazy world we live in, all these choices, got cable TV and you got 5,000 channels, there's not one thing on TV worth watching. Did you follow me? You got every doodad, every app there is on the phone. You got 10,000 apps on your phone. You got the Bible? Did you ever read it? Follow me. And so what Jesus is telling Peter is that here's how, you, here's, what, here's how you're going to exit this place. It didn't say, I'm going to make it real happy for you. You've been a follower of me. You've been one of my chosen. You are one of my apostles. So I'm going to put a little shelter house over you and nothing bad's going to happen. No, Peter, you're going to, they're going to stretch your arms out. And they're going to take you places you don't want to go. And you're going to die. But your death is going to bring honor to my God. That's what's going to happen to you. And Peter... Follow me. Well, what about? Don't go there, Peter. Don't go there. That doesn't matter. That's not your business. Your business is following me. And you see how important that is for us? We can get worried about this and this and this and that guy and this guy and this girl and this person. And we got, am I following Jesus? Don't be pointing that radar. Well, I know some people in this church are not following Jesus. How about you? How's your attitude? How good are you at forgiving? How much are you at serving others? Follow me. And when I think about several little phrases in the Bible, I think the times we come out of, this is one of the best phrases we need to really park on. Because we're all worried about everyone else. And we're worried about the government. And we're worried about this. And we're worried about this. I go to stores and the shelves are empty. I order something and they don't have the supplies. It's going to take months and months to go. We're worried. We're worried. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me when there's a pandemic. Follow me when there's no pandemic. Follow me if you have to wear a mask. Follow me if you don't wear a mask. Follow me if you got some supplies. Follow me if the shelves are empty. Follow me if it's easy. Follow me if it's hard. Follow me if it's downhill. Follow me if it's uphill. Follow me. That's what God's trying to get us to see. And if every single one of us would do this, not only would we be a better people, a better church, we would know our exit out of here. As we talked the other night about that door called death, all of us have to go through that door.
sooner or later. We can go kicking and screaming. We can freak out about that door. We can get so fixated about that door. It's just a door. And on the other side, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's where you want to be. You don't want to be on this side. This side's crazy. This world's upside down, inside out, and doesn't know which way's up. That side's where we want to be. Follow me. How simple that is. And how simple that is to tell each other when someone starts coming to you and says, Oh, it was so hot in the church building. Where are those deacons? Are the deacons even here tonight? Are they sleeping during this? Oh, follow me is what you tell that person. Follow me. For generations, brethren, have worshipped and there's been no air conditioning. So don't worry about those things. Well, what about this? Follow me, my friend. And that's what you do. Well, that's our thoughts. Nothing big, nothing that you don't already know but something we just need to remind ourselves of. Because we get so caught up with what you're doing and what you're doing and this and that, we forget God wants me to follow him. And it may be that when our time comes to go through that door, somebody may take us where we don't want to go. Somebody may even stretch out our hands when we don't want to be stretched out. That won't change a thing. Follow me. If you're not a Christian, you need to be baptized because Jesus said so. And among us, brethren, let's think about this. Let's think about what's really important. Let's really put the center where it needs to be. All across this country, all across this country, I can tell you congregation after congregation after congregation who have split, divided, people are not talking to each other because of a cloth they have over their nose. What in the world would they do with Romans 14? What in the world would they do if a Roman persecutor came in? We need to understand, follow me. If you're subject, why don't you come? Just stand and sing.